You know, last week I was sharing with you, and really the title of my messages is A Christ-Focused Christmas. And it's not so much about Christmas as much as it is about Christ, but, uh, you know, because you can't have Christmas without Him. And, uh, you know, and so last week I was sharing with you uh, really just the idea about even how the wise men came, and the Bible says that they traveled for two years to come and find Jesus. And so this was more than a slight interruption into their life. It was a four-year exodus to go find the Messiah because they had seen him. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of Bible trivia here, if, if you ever are on a Bible trivia thing. How old was Jesus when the wise men showed up? He wasn't a baby in the manger. He was two. You can actually go back and read with the verses that I read last week. And it says that they came and visited uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus in the house. Well, they didn't live in a house when Jesus was born. He was born in a stable. But anyhow, that's just a little... That might be the clincher there in Bible trivia sometime for you. So you're welcome. And uh, But uh, so they had gone on a two-year journey for a moment to come and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so they came and they got to worship the Messiah. They brought gifts. And so last week, my question for you was this, is that what gifts are you bringing to Jesus this year? And, uh, you know, and I gave you the idea about regifting. I mean, if you remember this. Regifting, and we don't want to be because I, I said the greatest gift that we could give God is us, yeah. is our, fully our heart. And I don't want to just keep regifting the same person year after year after year. I want to be a, a better, more Jesus like version of myself every year. And so I have another question for you this morning, though, that ties in with that a little bit uh, because, again, we're talking about a Christ focused Christmas. And uh, so my question for you today is what gifts are you giving to others? Last week, my question was, is what gift are you bringing to Jesus this year for Christmas? But my question for you this morning is what gift are you bringing or what gifts are you bringing or giving to others around you? And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Jesus is the greatest example of this. And we're going to look at some things this morning, but uh, along these lines. But, you know, part of Christmas and part of just all of the festivities, especially in our culture, it lends towards selfishness. It just does. Even if it's not for you, maybe it's for your kids or your grandkids or your this. And it just, and and, you know, and it just, it's the mindset of the time, if you will. And yet we are still called to be Jesus. We're still called to reach people. We're still called to love and to minister to people. And so, you know, even during this time, we can get so busy that we kind of lose track and lose sight of what's really important. And because many people are open to the gospel at Christmas that really at any other time of the year they may not really be. Why? Because at Christmas, especially in our country, in our culture, because we live in the Bible Belt. I don't know if you know that. People have a pretty good understanding of Scripture for the most part. Or at least some version of understanding. As loose as that may be for some. But they still have an understanding that Jesus came. And people who aren't really spiritual whatsoever get real spiritual around Christmas time. And they will have conversations that they wouldn't have any other time of the year. Why? Because they're programmed for for it. They were raised in church. They were raised with, you know, a Christian upbringing or whatever. But now they've walked away from it. But it's a great time for us as believers to be evangelical. Say, well, what does that mean? It means start sharing your faith with people in December. And uh, why? Because they're more open to having the conversation than maybe at other times of the year. You know, there are uh, select holidays, if you will, that church attendance tend to be higher. There's actually three of them throughout the year. There's Easter, Mother's Day, and Christmas. 
Those are the three largest attendance services throughout the year. And, uh, you know, and why is that? Because people have an understanding. The Bible says over in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in the hearts of mankind. So in other words, everybody knows in their heart of hearts, they can argue it all day long, but they know that there is a God and they know that there is more to this life. You know, and so there are opportunities that we have, but many times our, um, the way we go about our day-to-day lives can shut the doors to other people hearing and receiving uh, the message that, that we claim that we hold to. And so our goal is, is that we live out the gospel. Not just that we preach the gospel, we want to live it out. And so this morning, this is part of what uh, I want to share with you, is that we want to live out the gospel. Why? Because that's what Christ did. So if we're going to be a Christ-focused Christmas, then we need to live like he did. And so, you know, some of the questions that I have for you, you know, obviously, uh, and last week the answer to the question was the greatest gift, that, or what's the most important gift you could give to God yourself? This, it's the same answer this week. What's the greatest gift that you can give to other people? It's you. It's not a gift, it's not a, a present, it's not a thought, it's not some trinket that they may not care about in a few months. The greatest gift that we can give humanity is to be like Christ and to be and to sow ourselves into the lives of other people. But to do that, we've got to have the proper mindset. We have to be mindful about others around us. Don't just get so busy that we're kind of flying through our day, like actually pay attention. Kind of have your spiritual antennas up even when you're busy. Because you'll have an opportunity maybe to pray with somebody, to, to speak a word of encouragement into them. Especially the people that you're around regularly. Yeah. You know, there's movies and all kinds of things and they talk about like the spirit of Christmas. You ever heard that? Yeah. Like people talk about that, you know. And, uh, you know, and there's all kinds of movies throughout, you know, history that have been made and all these things about this. But, you know, as believers that we're supposed to actually leave the spirit of Christ behind when we leave a place. When I go to work and I leave, I ought to leave the Spirit of Christ there. They ought to think, man, something's different. You know, when people come to my house, I want them to say, something's different about this place. You're right, it's the Spirit of Christ in my house. Same, it's not because of me and it's not because of anything else. This is because of who's in me. You know, and the same should be said for us everywhere that we go. And so, uh, you know, but there are some things that we can do to help people connect the dots as well. And I believe because of uh, really the day in which we live, that one of the greatest ways that we do this is by serving others, by living selflessly. And, uh, you know, and obviously during this time, you know, people do get benevolent and they start being kind and being gracious. And and those are great things, but we don't want to just be kind and benevolent and gracious just for no point. Um, We want it to be a doorway to the gospel for people. And so here in John chapter 13, I'm going to look at a couple of verses this morning. Where Jesus talks about serving others. And uh, you know because we are called to do that. Whether we like it or not. That's what we're called to do. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And I'm going to show you this here in a few minutes. But here in John chapter 13. This, I'm picking up in mid story. But uh, this is the account where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And you know so Jesus starts washing some of their feet. He comes to Peter and he says you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says if I don't wash your feet you got no part in me. And he says okay give me a shower. And uh, you know heads, hand, feet, whatever. And there's this so... You know, that's what's going on. But here in verse 12, it says that after washing their feet, he put, the, uh, put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? So here he is with the disciples. Now this is close to the end of Jesus' natural life. And he asked them, he says, Do you understand what I'm doing by serving you? 
And he says, you call me Lord and teacher, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. He says, I've given you an example to follow, so do as I have done to you. He says, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. He says, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now, does this mean that we're supposed to walk around with a bucket of water and a wash rag and start washing random people's feet? <coughs> Probably not. If a complete stranger walked up to me and says, hey, kick your shoes off, I'm going to wash your feet, I'm going to say no thank you. Like, that's a little weird. That's not what he is saying, but what he is saying here is he's giving the example, and I love how it says it. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Not to think about, not to ponder on, not to weigh out. He says, follow my example. He says, and do as I have done for you. And he goes on here and he begins, you know, and he teaches them a moment here. And he says, look, you're not more important than me. I'm your teacher. And if I, your teacher, can do this, then you as my student, if you will, should also follow and do as I have done. Well, this is an example and really a picture for us of what it means to serve other people. Sometimes serving other people is not nice. It's not clean. Sometimes it's dirty. Sometimes it's, I'd rather not. But yet as Christ follows, we're still called to, to serve. You know, and this is the reason that Jesus came. It's the whole purpose of why he came to, to be with us, to ultimately to provide salvation for us, yes. But the Bible says over in Philippians chapter 1, it gives us a picture into this moment when Christ steps off the throne to come to the earth. And it says here, and we're just going to start in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort in His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? He says here at the last, he says, Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Because I believe that to serve, those are requirements. We need to be tender, but we also need to be compassionate. That we don't look from a judging position at people saying, Well, you know, you're responsible for your mess. Well, that, yes, there's truth in that. But what about compassion? Compassion is saying, I'm going to do what's right regardless of what you've done. It doesn't matter how you got here. The reality is that you're here. And he says, but are you tender and compassionate? He says, then make me truly happy by greeting or by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Verse 3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. So it's impossible to be humble and think that you're somehow better than somebody else at any level. doesn't matter what it may be in. He says, be humble. Uh, don't think of yourself as better than others. He says, don't look only for your own interest, but uh, take an interest in others too. Verse 5, he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. You got to have the same thought process, the same way he, he did life, the same attitude. In verse 6, it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Other translations say that he didn't cling to his rights as being God. He didn't hold on to that. He willingly steps down. 
It said in verse 7, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave or of a servant, and was born as a human being. It says, When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on a cross. It says, Therefore, God has elevated him to the place of highest honor, and gave him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and in earth, And every tongue should declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now there are several things that we can pull from these two passages. You know, and it's really how the kingdom of God works. If you want to grow, you have to submit. You have to bring yourself under. You have to be willing to serve other people. That's what Jesus was trying to get the disciples to understand because they were always jockeying for position. The context of him washing feet is actually in the midst of a civil war of the disciples. Why? Because one of their, well actually two of them's mother had gone to Jesus and says, Hey, would you grant a throne on your left and right to my two boys? That's the context of Jesus washing it. And so and he says, look, that's not for me to determine. And then the other disciples hear that somebody's trying to get position, trying to jockey for their position. And they all get upset. And Jesus' lesson to them was, guys, it doesn't matter where your position is. If you want to move forward with God, you've got to make yourself the least. You can say it this way, if you want to move forward or or promotion with the Lord comes through humility. It says here that Jesus didn't cling or hold on or fight for his right as being God. He willingly stepped down for us, but he also set a pattern for us to live as well. And that is that we're not to just be self-seeking. We're not just supposed to be out for me and mine. We have a kingdom agenda. We have a purpose during this life that we have, which is short. But how we live this life will determine all of eternity. So if that's true, and I'm like, man, I've got this short little life. I want to make sure that I'm focusing on what's actually eternal. Not just what, as the Bible calls it, is temporary. This life is temporary. You know, a few weeks ago, it's a number of weeks ago now, I, I, I challenge you with the thought of not to think of, of uh, life in terms of days or even weeks or even in years. Because in years, even, it's like, well, you got 80, 90, 100 years, 110, if you're one of those really fortunate people. I mean, few people live past that. But what about in decades? I'm approaching my fourth decade. Well, I've only got maybe four, five, or six more decades to go. That's not that many. When you look at it in that kind of that, that thought process, if you will. Well, I want to be mindful of other people, and I don't want to just be... And even in, in the way that I believe God and pray and ask God, because I don't want my prayers to be solely revolved around me. And revolved around what I need and what I want. I, I want my prayers to also be... Beyond that. To me that's true spiritual maturity by the way. When you move beyond yourself. And you can begin to believe God for other people. That's true maturity. When I was younger. I was more selfish. I expected even my parents. 
to cater to me and to do what I needed when I needed. Now that I'm a father, I've had to learn and mature beyond that. That sometimes I may not get to watch what I want to watch on my TV. Because my son brings me the remote. And he says, Max Moat. Max Moat, which means Max wants to watch some TV. He's learned real quick. So I've had to inform him that it's my remote. It's not his remote. But he's pretty persistent. But you know, he doesn't always have to come and beg and ask. Sometimes I just say, hey, what do you want to watch? I'll stop watching what I want to watch so that he can watch something that he enjoys. Well, you, you, you could say that's somewhat of maturity too. I'm going to make sure that his needs are met before my needs. I'll go without to make sure that he doesn't. Well, even as a spiritual person, true spiritual maturity in my mind is that. Is that God, I will make the sacrifices to make sure that somebody else has. And I don't mean just in a natural sense. Oh, I do believe there's a portion of that. I mean, that is a part of our life. But even in the areas of prayer and trusting God and believing God and walking with people. People are inconvenient. I love you. But all people are inconvenient. I mean, I love my wife. I don't want to do life without her. But there are times that it's inconvenient. Because she says, can you do this? Well, no, I don't really want to right now. But I have to make the decision to serve. Why? Because that's my instruction from Scripture is that I'm to love my wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave his life for the church. Well, even as a husband, see what I'm talking about today. How do you serve your spouse? I served my spouse yesterday by doing some laundry. Praise the Lord. It happens every now and then. Every now and then. Unasked. Well, she did ask me to put them in the washing machine. But then I went ahead and put them in the dryer and folded them up. And Why? Because I want to serve my wife. I want to live sacrificially the way Christ lived. Now, we all have areas and ways in which we can serve one another. But it doesn't just stop with our families. It doesn't just stop with, with our close-knit friends. We are called and really uh, we're expected, if you will, to follow the example of Christ. Just to serve other people. You know, I I mean, even in the, the life of our church, if we're not careful, we can become where we're just trying to serve the vision of this church. Of this and forget that God has actually placed us in a community to affect. Like, oh, well, the church is doing well. We're doing good. Things are awesome. Okay, but who have we touched outside of our four walls? I mean, if I'm going to go fishing, I'm not going to show up here with my rod and reel. Why? Well, because there's no water here. There's not a pond. There's no water. There's no fish. If I'm going to go catch some fish, I got to go where the fish are. Well, even as a church, and that's something that even... You know, as part of the leadership of our church that I pray about. God, what are some, are there areas that we're not stretching out in and doing and, and, and even sacrificing in some ways? To be able to bless those in our community. To bless those around us. That's one of the reasons why we have missions. Why? Because we want to do things beyond ourselves. 
you know, we're going to, um, I've been praying for a, a little bit now about uh, something that here at the first of the year, uh, and it's with Agape House, but we're going to uh, be doing some things. I'll give you more information about it here when it's time, but we're not there yet. And, uh, but uh, we're going to be doing some things from the church as a whole. Um, why? Because they help foster kids. They help kids that are in the system get out of the system. They're building a new house to be able to do kids that are teenagers and those types of things. Right? It's not just their responsibility. Now, it's a Christian organization. I've met the people. I know them. Um, you know, but it's not just their responsibility. It's our responsibility as the church. Why? Because this is the community that we've been placed in. And so we have a responsibility. The Bible says the kingdom of God is to take care of widows and orphans. Well, that's a very tangible way that's literally like a mile and a half away from us that we can be involved. And that's who we are called to be. And it's going to cost us money. Us. All of us. Money. That precious commodity that we love. Why? Because it's why we're here. We're called to make a difference. And this is the heart and the best way that I know to do this is by serving other people. We're constantly looking for our best interest, what we want, what we need, the things that we, we desire. People don't have much of a palate for that. They don't have much of a taste for that, if you will. It is countercultural to put other people first. But it's what Christ did. You never see Jesus in his entire life demanding for people to leave him alone. Now, I'm a... Uh, what you would consider an extroverted introvert, which is this, is that I like people, but to recharge, I got to go get alone. So I know that's, you may have never even heard that term, but it's actually a term. I enjoy being with people. I enjoy engaging with people. I used to just say I was an introvert, but I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me because I'm not a recluse. I, I do like people, but some people get around people to recharge. I mean, that fuels their batteries. That's not me. I like being around people, but then I got to go get away to recharge. Well, Jesus constantly, you never see him saying, guys, just leave me alone. I got to go pray. I got to go do this. Let me, y'all hold the crowds away and let me go get a few minutes of quiet. No, what happened? The Bible says multiple times he was moved with compassion. There's that word again. He was moved with compassion over and over and over, even when it was very inconvenient, even when he was tired, even when he was frustrated, even when he probably just needed a few moments to himself. It says he was moved with compassion and he saw them as people being sheep without a shepherd. And so he provided for their needs over and over. And as believers, that's who we're called to be. And just as it says here is that we are to think about other people equal or even maybe more than, about, than we do about ourselves. This is the way Christ lived. It said even though he was. Let me say it this way. Even though his standing was God. Now we understand from scripture. The Bible says that we right now. Are seated with Christ. But we can be real proud. And real confident. Of our position in Christ. And forget that there's a world that needs salvation. We can say well I'm good. I'm going to heaven. My house is going to heaven. Everybody loves Jesus. It's amazing. Yeah, but what about the people next door to you? What about the people around the corner that you just keep running into all over the place? And you can't figure out why. You're like, God, are you doing something? I can answer the question. Yeah, he's probably doing something. He's probably bringing that person back to you over and over and over and over again. And we have to be mindful, though, that we do have a purpose. 
We are called to serve other people. You know, over in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus gives his disciples another example, another teaching moment with with Jesus here. He This is actually, again, this part where the two disciples, it was actually James and John, had been jockeying for position. It's just in another um, of the Gospels here. And it says, When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were furious. They were angry. It says, But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over, the, over those who are under them. But among you it is to be different. He said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant. And he says, whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. Sorry, I got that out of place there. He said, whoever wants to be your leader must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gives us the example. He says, look, you have to humble yourself. That word humble actually uh, gives you the picture of getting low. You ever tried to crawl under a fence or something like that? How I many of you know what I'm talking about? Like dig a little hole and you're trying to... It's hard and you've got to kind of... That's actually what humility actually looks like. Why? Because humility is a fight. Yeah. Nobody has the spiritual gift of humility. There's no such thing. No one's just born with a humble heart. It's something that has to be developed. Now, there are people who are just more compassionate than others. There, I mean, that's true, yes. But true humility is a fight Amen. for all of us. Yeah. None of us are exempt from this. Why? Because true humility fights self. Well, we all fight for self. I mean, it's just human nature. That's why we need a Savior. That's why the Bible says none of us are good. Because none of us really are. Not without Jesus. It's the reason why he had to come. Why? So that he could now change our hearts. Change our, our life. And even as I was sharing with you a few minutes ago. The greatest gift that you can give to the people that we come in contact with all the time. No matter where it is. No matter if it's at work or out and about. At your kid's game. Whatever it may be. Whatever world or wherever you may find yourself. The greatest gift that you can give anybody is yourself. But I don't want to just give them David left to David. I want to give them David rearranged by Christ. And I want to see me grow and me change where I'm more and more and more, just as the Bible talks about, changed or transformed into the image of Christ. Continually transformed. You know, a caterpillar doesn't look anything like a butterfly. In my opinion, some of you may say, oh, well, caterpillars are pretty and fuzzy. And, you know, I used to, as a kid, I would get them and put them in jars, you know. Anybody else do that? Stab some holes in the lid and put some sticks in there. And then, you know, eventually the worm would be going to a cocoon. And eventually the, it would become a butterfly. And you had to open the jar so it didn't kill the butterfly. Why? Because caterpillars crawl, butterflies fly. Well, in my opinion, a butterfly is much more beautiful 
than a caterpillar. But there's a transformation that has to happen. Well, the same thing is true for us. A transformation has to happen and continually happen. Yes, I realize that salvation was a one-time moment where I got saved. But my sanctification is still in process. Like, well, I'm sanctified in Christ. Uh Uh-huh. Again and again and again and again and again. You are. Praise the Lord. Well, that's the only way that we can truly have a heart, number one, that's humble, but also to truly have a heart that cares and is concerned for other people. You know, it's one thing to just help somebody out. It's another thing to care or be concerned for them. It's different. We are to be like Christ, to actually take on concern of other people. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm responsible for them, that you're responsible for them. People are they're going to make their decisions. But there are people that the Lord will lay on your heart that, will bring, that He'll bring across your path that you have a responsibility to be Christ to them. Amen. You know, I've heard it said like this, and I, I like it because it communicates, is that you may be the closest thing to Jesus that some people may ever see. You may be the, the, the clearest gospel message that some people will ever hear. It's your life. It's who you are. Well, what about on our bad days? We don't get a pass, unfortunately. It would be nice if we could just wear a t-shirt that just says, I'm not like Jesus today. Like, you know, I mean, that would be great. And people would just say, okay, my expectations are a little lower today. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Because here's the response we get. Oh, I thought you were a Christian. I am. Did you read my t-shirt though? Like today is just... But unfortunately, we don't get that pass. So what do we do on those days? We still choose to be humble. We still choose not to demand our own rights and our own ways. Why? Because we're not self-seeking because the love of God in us is not self-seeking. I hate that part of that verse, but it's still the Bible and I still believe the Bible. And so therefore it challenges me. God's love in us compels us to serve. God's love in you compels you to serve. You're like, well, I don't know if I got the love of God in my heart. If you're saved, you you do. You may have it covered up and you may have, uh, you know, squished it down. But the Bible says is that the, the love of God has been what? Shed abroad. In other words, it's like a light switch has been turned on. A light has, has come into your heart. Well, that's the love of God. Well, God is always concerned and attentive to others, to other people. I mean, it's the gospel message in a nutshell. Well, we have a great opportunity. You could say this way. You have the greatest opportunity. Is to be mindful of other people. To pray and ask God to give you opportunities. To, to open up doors for you to reach into the hearts of other people. And just say, God, would I be a, a part of their story? Could I be a piece of the puzzle that created their salvation story? And sometimes it's can be frustrating because you're like, man, I worked hard and I never saw anything. And they never got saved. Well, maybe you just don't know about it. There were lots of people. I mean, I'll give you a story. This happened in my own life. So I got saved as a junior, or really right after my junior year of high school. But uh, after my sophomore, or right, I'm sorry, right after my freshman year of high school, 
my parents, because of some things that had gone on in the school that I was in, determined that I needed to move. It just wasn't a good environment for me. And so they gave me a couple options, and uh, I went with the one that I least wanted because it was, yeah, I won't go into all the details, but uh, I had some public school options, and I said, well, what happens if I go and I get kicked out of those? And they said, we're going to send you to military school. And I said, well, I'll go to that Christian school then. And, uh, you know, it's got to be better than military school, you know. And uh, I don't know why my parents, I mean, I wasn't like a terrible kid or anything. It wasn't like I was some, uh, you know, uh, but... My parents laugh now because they're like, my dad says, he goes, I don't know why I said that. And I'm like, well, it made me make a right decision. And I can tell you that. And uh, so maybe just been the Lord because I was like, well, I don't want to, you know, go somewhere. And so uh, I went to a Christian school. Now, I wasn't living for the Lord, didn't care anything about living for the Lord, antagonistic to the gospel very much. So I would sit there in chapel and make fun of the kids who spoke about Jesus. And so that was me as a teenager. And uh, my sarcasm was at a different level even then. And, uh, and so I, just, I was just very antagonistic to it. I uh, didn't want anything to do with church, didn't want anything to do with God, didn't care about going to Christian school. You know, if I could just be rebellious, I would be. And, um, you know, and so there were just some things there. But something began to happen in my junior year. Uh, I had been battling depression. I'd been going through a lot of things. Um, obviously I had moved schools and so I lost all the friends that I had grown up with and there was just, I wasn't the most social guy. And so it, I was just struggling to find my place, long story short. And, uh, but there was, you know, I had this English teacher, her name was Miss Brown and uh, Miss Brown was a great teacher and a funny lady. Margaret Brown was her name. And, uh, you know, and so she, uh, we knew that if we could get Miss Brown, cause she, every day at the beginning of class, she'd say, Hey, does anybody have any prayer requests? You know, and of course you'd have 48 unspokens and then you'd have this, somebody going to surgery, this and that. But we knew if we could get Miss Brown talking about the Bible that we would just never make it to English. And so it was a good strategy for us uh, just to get her talking about anything other than English, or, you know, because it was just that we just knew. Well, one day she got to talking. Now I'm sitting there. Uh, if this was the classroom, I'm roughly about where Miss Lisa is from her. So second row, kind of on the outside, closest to the door. You know, because I got to get out of there. And uh, so she is, uh, you know, I don't even remember. There was a girl somewhere back in this part of the classroom. Uh, and she asked a question and Miss Brown starts talking about Jesus. And uh, she's just, she's talking to this girl. And I'm over here trying to zone her out as much as possible. And um, so, but she began to talk about Jesus. And it was, you know, and just, and I can't even recall what all she had said, but one of the statements that she made was that Jesus came that we would have life. You know, is that he came to redeem us from death. And so, but, and I'd been, I'd been raised in church, so I knew the vernacular. I knew the verbiage. But for whatever moment, or whatever reason, in that moment, there became some revelation in my heart. Now, she wasn't talking to me. She wasn't paying attention to me. Well, I left that room and depression had been broken off of my life. She had no idea. Nobody prayed with me. No, it wasn't some, I wasn't like slain in the spirit on the floor. Just, you know, the Lord hit me and flop out the chair. And like, you know, it wasn't anything like that. But when I left the room, there was, I could feel that the weight had lifted. If you've ever dealt with that type of thing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's heavy. And it just weighed on me. And, uh, but it, it broke the power of that in my life. Well, I wasn't even living for the Lord. I call it my wake-up call. Um, because it was like the Lord just moved on me, I think, because my mom prayed for me, quite honestly. and Because uh, I didn't care anything about God or anything. But the problem was, is now I had an experience where I knew what had happened. 
I just didn't like that I knew what had happened. Because now I'm faced with a choice and a decision, okay, that God is real, because I'm very analytical. So it was, you know, I want fact. Give me, like, you know, concrete answers. Well, faith is not concrete. And that's what I wanted. And so, but now I had fact, because I knew something had happened in me that I, I didn't know what to do with it. Ultimately, it led to me giving my life to the Lord about six months later. Here I am today. So anyhow, so I'll tell you all that. That happened, actually, the, that moment actually happened at the middle of my senior year. Fast forward to the next school year, because I never told Miss Brown about it. I never said, huh? Junior year, yeah, but fast forward to my senior year. So I never told Miss Brown about what happened in her classroom that day and all these things. And, but here I am now serving the Lord. And there were a lot of people involved. She wasn't the only one, but she was the one that was kind of the catalyst, if you will. And uh, so fast forward a full year later. It was spring break of my senior year. She had agreed to um, be a sponsor on our trip. We were going to actually to the Brownsville Revival. And uh, so she, you know, there was a group of us and, you know, I'd never seen a revival like that. So I thought, hey, I'm, I'm interested. Let me go. And uh, so I went. And so one day on the bus ride, I began to tell Miss, and I, well, here, let me back up a little bit. For over a year, I had it in my heart that I should tell Miss Brown about what happened. And I just, I chickened out. I just, I just didn't do it. I just, I mean, I just, man, it was like conviction of the Holy Spirit just was on me heavy one day. I mean, like real heavy on this trip because I saw her all the, I mean, you know, she's one of my favorite teachers in my junior year. And, um, you know, she's just a neat lady and just all these things. And, but the Lord just, because of course I didn't know how to hear from God. I didn't, I just, I don't know. I felt guilty, quite honestly. It's the way it felt to me was I just felt bad. And one day I was finally like, I just got to tell her. She, I don't know why. You know, again, I didn't know what it meant to hear from God. I didn't know the leading of the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand none of that. I just knew I was saved. That's about what I knew. And um, so on our bus ride, I said, Miss Brown, can I talk to you? You know, can we sit kind of closely? Because I don't remember where we were driving from one place to another. And she said, sure. And uh, so I'm, I said, Miss Brown, I need to let you know something. And I told her what I just told you about, um, you know, what had happened the year before and all these things. And as I began to tell her, she began to just cry. And I don't mean like pretty tears. I mean like just sobbing tears. And, um, you know, and, and so I finished telling her the story of what had happened. And she said, I thought I had missed God. Because there was another young man who was in the class with us. And she said, every year I pray. And I asked the Lord, what student am I to minister to this year? And she said, and I thought it was him. And she said, but he never responded. And I thought I had failed the Lord. Because he never had really responded to what, you know, that she could tell. And with tears in her eyes, she looks at me and she says, it was you all along. And she said, I had no idea. And for a year or more, the Lord had been trying to get me to go tell her what had happened. Why? Because she had no idea. See, and so my question and the reason I tell you all of that is this, is you never know the impact that you have on people. God may have used you in the most unspectacular way in their life, at least on the surface. But what God has accomplished through you Went all the way to their core. And they may be living completely different today. And you have no idea. Why? Because you just simply were Jesus to somebody. You, you, you made the decision to serve. You made the decision to, to be in the right place at the right time. Having no idea 
really the impact of your influence. I think it's a great trick of the enemy to try to get us to minimize our influence as believers. But the Bible declares that we are salt and we are light. I love how the message translation uh, says this. It says that we're the salt in the earth to bring out the God flavors in the world. I mean, I like seasonings. I like salt. I like pepper. I like all those kinds of things. Well, the Bible says that that's who we are. We're to bring out God's flavoring. The world and life is bland without Christ. Well, people ought to be able to experience something different. And just like it happened in my life. I'm standing behind a pulpit today, partly, in large part, because of a junior English teacher who had no idea what she had accomplished or what she had done in me. To the point that she thought she had even just missed God. Sometimes I think, and look, and I'm a goal-oriented person. So I understand this, but sometimes I feel like that maybe I've not done all that God has wanted me to, or maybe not hit all the marks that I thought, but I'm not really aware of what He has actually done through me many times. The same is true for you. The devil may have you defeated, thinking, well, you're not measuring up, and, and who, would, who would listen to you, and who, no one can, can look up to you. You might be surprised who would look up to you. And who does look up to you and who has followed your example. Even It may not even be the words that you've ever said, but it might be the life that you've lived that has inspired them to now follow Christ, to live a life of faith, to, to do something that they never would have done had they not seen your life. You know, the greatest uh, influence in my life were my parents, by far, to this day. But it's not because of the sermons that they preached. It's because of the life that they lived. The, the people that they were. They weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They have shortcomings, but the thing, you know, and I've shared this many times. My dad was always willing to say he was sorry for screwing up. Now he was forced to by my mom, but that's to my knowledge. But it told me that as a man, it was okay to say I'm sorry. It was okay to say I missed it. I wish it was easier for me to do that even to this day, but at least I had a good example. Because there's times that I have to go to my wife and humble myself and say, I'm sorry. And that's hard. It's like digging under that fence. And I have to go in humility, love my wife and say, hey, I blew it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have spoke to you like that. Well, what about other people? Again, the greatest gift that you can give to others is you. But you don't want to just give them you that's left to you. You want to give them you that has been transformed by the life of Christ. And that's how we influence. That's how we impact. That's how we actually truly celebrate Christmas. Don't make Christmas just about what Christ has done for you. Take it a step further. Maybe you need to ask the question, what would Christ do through me? And then you pray and you ask the Lord, God, give me opportunities to reach people, to serve people, to love people. We don't always see the impact, but there will be a day that I believe the Lord will show us the full weight of our life. And I think we'll be blown away. Like I had no idea that I had influenced that many people. It was just a little kind word here, a little hug there, a little encouragement here. It was just taking somebody to lunch and just letting them talk and... 
just kind of vent because they just needed some safe ears to talk to. That's serving other people. Maybe it's meeting a physical need. Sure, it could be that. But it's not It's not only that. So I want to leave that thought with you this morning. Are you giving the best you out that you can to other people? The most Christ-like, Jesus-like, best version of you that you can? Because I believe that that's the gift that we give, continue to give. Last week I told you, I said the best gift you can give to God is yourself, but that's the way we continue giving the gift to God is that we give it out to other people.